This is an SM Media production. Hello folks and welcome to the latest episode of the Rangers Journey right here on SM Media. I'm Scott with Pike. It's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We are now hitting episode 12, 2008 to 2011. What happened when Walter Smith led Rangers to three in a row under the most shoestring budget any manager will probably ever have in the top of Scottish football. To join me on this part of the journey, it's a pleasure to welcome Chris Bay of the fourth official. Chris, it's a pleasure to welcome you on. Thanks for joining me. No, no worries at all, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. Um, can I just say as well, Scott, before we start, mate, um, much respect to you and your good lady. He's obviously been through quite a tough time. Um, I watched my father and you were so courageous, um, as was your daughter, mate. So absolutely, um, my heart goes out to you for that, but I, I've got so much respect for the both of you, mate. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that, mate. It was unexpected, but it means a lot as well. And again, it's just great to be back doing what I do and hopefully we, yeah, we keep it going yeah it's, it's the best it's the best therapy doing podcasts like this and looking back at, at memories but let's get into talking about the these three years now Chris before we get into talking about and can I go through it in depth is this the weirdest three years to be a Rangers fan apart from the lower league era yeah it was quite a, a bizarre um, period in time because we didn't, as, as you alluded to, shoestring budget, you know, I think that's probably underestimating it. Yeah. Because we really had nothing at all. Um, and even the money we spent, technically, you could say, wasn't even a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could go as far as saying we obviously uh, utilised the overdraft and then we were taking money from the Champions League. It was coming in one hand and it was going out the other. Um, and some of the signings, when you actually think about it, when you really, really think about it, you know, Ricky Foster, for example, who was obviously a stopgap, and Walter just made it work, which yeah. just shows you how much of a genius he was. Um, domestically, we were, you know, we will obviously go through each season um, to get three in a row with that squad. I mean, I'm not downplaying the quality squad. There were still quality players, of course there was, but when you actually look at the circumstances to get three in a row, um, maybe we didn't do too well in Europe, but to get three in a row was just sensational when you look back on it. And I still don't think that history has been as kind to it as it probably should be, um, because everybody thinks, you know, Rangers, what we do is win. We win leagues and that's mm-hmm. it. But under the circumstances, this period, you know, this you know, three in a row, this three years, this domination, if you will, um, completely against the odds when you actually kind of um, look at it closely, which obviously we will do. Yeah, I mean it's that's absolutely accurate. I mean, there's it shows you the genius of Walter Smith, and we'll touch on two legacies right at the end of the show in different ways. Just how big an impact both both men will talk about have going into that summer. Obviously, the summer of two thousand and eight, there was a hangover in the support after the unbelievable season previously. But in the background, in the boardroom, there is it's turning dire. It really is. I mean. 
the financial world's about to crumble, and as a result, David Murray's world's about to crumble. The debt at this point is twenty-one million, but Rangers have a record turnover with European competition at this point, and Murray's still saying that we need to tighten our belt. We it come out it comes out later that it's down to obviously players getting bonuses and things like that. But when you're reaching a UEFA Cup final, when you're seeing record turnover, and you get your chairman saying we need to tighten our belt, it shows you just how grim this situation is. To be fair, um, David Murray may, may very well have been saying that we have to tighten our belt and, and obviously putting the action plan in place, but I don't think that it actually came from Murray. Um, no, we, I didn't, no. I, Lloyd's Bank had a representative on the board. Um, I think his name is Donald Moore. Yeah, he comes in later. He comes in a, a year after, I think. Yeah, so basically Lloyd's were calling the shots right from this period, right to the, the end of this period. Yeah. Uh, and that pretty much, you know, we talk about David Murray. Um, one of David Murray's greatest assets, if you will, wasn't his wealth, it was his ego. And mm-hmm. his ego took a massive dent um, during this period because he couldn't be the flamboyant, arrogant owner who will spend more money than Celtic to become uh, to, to make us the best team in, in, in Scotland. We were the best team in Scotland, as was as I've already said, we were the best team in Scotland purely because of one man, and that was Walter Smith. Um, and, you know, it was... I mean, we're going to talk... Obviously, you say the record turnover here and getting into 2008. We did still spend quite a lot of money on this this um, this this season, which, to be fair, when we actually look at who we signed and for how much we signed, it probably wasn't the best idea to, to be doing that because, like, for example, Pedro Mendes came in for three million quid and then yeah. a year later, we're selling him for half of that. So mm-hmm. was that really necessary? You know what I mean? Um, but, again... We might never have won the league if it wasn't for Pedro. So yeah, I mean, and it's that thing as well. Like the this transfer window, I think, can get split into two parts, and it starts with obviously the the controversial signing of Kenny Miller from Derby. It was condemned with the support, obviously, his time at Celtic a couple of seasons before, and he was coming back to Ibrox. And I remember the the Cowness home game actually he was booed, and I never understood that because Miller. It's a tough one because obviously Miller Miller had been at Celtic and was tapping the badge after scoring against Rangers but we know, we know Kenny Miller Kenny Miller isn't a Kenny Miller goes wherever's best for him and that's that's where I kind of sympathise with Kenny Miller but what, what was your kind of reaction to that signing at the time? It was a, it was a weird one because obviously um, it was about March whilst we were in that UFA Cup run mm-hmm. the rumours started kind of coming to the surface that Walter was interested in Miller now when you want to personify a player um, that fits Walter Smith's system, then Kenny Moff, you know, he ticked every single yeah. box. Every single box. So there was no surprise that, obviously, Muller was a target. Um, people were talking about, you know, looking at parallels between him and Mo Johnson and stuff. I, obviously, I wasn't born in that era, but, you know, I don't think there'll ever be another Mo Johnson. Um, no. It just so happened that Kenny Muller obviously played for Celtic. Where, where, it, where I was struggling with it was when Kenny Muller signed for Celtic, there was definite interest there from Rangers, and um, obviously Le Guin um, coming in, I don't know if that, you know, affected it or, or whatnot, but the, it, it obviously was in a Bosman from Wolves to Celtic, and it worked uh, closely with Alan McCoyst um, and Walter of Scotland, so I assumed back then that we were going to sign him, so it was a bit mm-hmm. of a gut punch that Celtic obviously stole a march on us, um, if you will, but uh, for me, it was just Kind of, let's just see what happens. His goal scoring record <laughs> wasn't great. Um, 
he didn't really start having a rich vein of form when it came to scoring goals until kind of second and third year with Rangers. But I, I was kind of we needed a new striker. Like, mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Darchville was done. We ran him right into the ground the, the previous year, and Chris Boyd wasn't going to do what was needed. Um, so as I said, Muller ticked all the boxes, but the big question mark over him was he played for Celtic. Now, me and you know, as you, we know what the old firm's like, when when a player's got that crime, if you will, against their name, uh, yeah. or that charge, it's, even to this day, there's still some people that have never fully forgiven Kenny Muller. But we're going to come on to the game, which changed my opinion. I, I was on the side of, nah, this isn't going to work, for two reasons. One, I didn't think it was good enough. Um, how wrong was I? And two, you know, as pathetic as it does sound, it did play for Celtic. Yeah, and it's that thing as well. Like, yeah, uh, imagine, I imagine a Celtic player going to Rangers now. It's probably worse now because of the way the rivalry is. But yeah. it made sense, as you say, Walter, Walter knew him. Walter got the absolute best out of him in Scotland. And yeah. It was a no-brainer, really, in, a, in, in all honesty. But bringing in Lafferty and Belichka as well, just before the, we're touching this game, like, the signings, it's definitely obvious the one party wants to strengthen was up front. And Rangers go to, into the Champions League qualification. Crucial for the club at this point to get the financial kind of situation back on foot. Rangers play Lithuanian champions Kaunas, who were infamously won by Vladimir Romanov, a name that rings... Rings a bell with Rangers fans. And now now draw Ibrox. Now that's this to me was just the same as the season before. It was just boring draws at home, but it's all right. Rangers will do it in away leg. That away leg in Lithuania was disastrous. Rangers go in yeah. front with Kevin Thompson, but Kaunas get it back to 2-1. And Kaunas put Rangers out of the Europe, the Champions League. And Europe is done in the first week of August, considering the fact Rangers had reached a final in May. What a disaster this was. See when you think about it. See when you think of, uh, in recent seasons, Malmo. Um, yeah, we went into that game and didn't spend any money. Um, you could say there was similarities there. You talk about Lafferty and Velichka. That's almost five million quid. You know, mm-hmm. three point seven five for Lafferty and a million for Velichka. And it goes back to what I'm saying. I mean, could we have done it without they two? I think we probably could have. And instead of signing them. The, the, the obvious one was Stephen Davis. You know, we yeah. waited to the very last minute to get Davis in, whereas if we paid the money, what was it, three million, to get Davis in instead of Lafferty, he, he's going to be a massive help for Kaunas. So there was a wee bit of mismanagement there from the football side. Um, as you say, you talk about the games, the Ibrox game, I honestly couldn't even tell you one incident happened in that game. No, it was, a, it was a, just a boring, it was just a, yeah. yeah. The most frustrating thing for me was in Kaunas, we actually... <coughs> and, I to be so unprofessional, and that's what it was. You know, it definitely wasn't because Kaunas were more talented than us. It was just an unprofessional performance to go 1-0 up and then lose it. I think they scored in the last minute, if I remember, Christian Daly. Yeah. Uh, his man. Um, unprofessional, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Hangover from last season. The fans were still scunnered from last season. Uh, obviously, the players were still scunnered, but I think the fans, we've got the right to still feel, you know, pissed off about what happened in the previous season, you know, with, with the fixture congestion and losing the UEFA Cup final and obviously losing the league. And we have we had the right to still be feeling, you know, 
angry about that and, and sad almost, but the players, they need to be, they had to be more professional and they had to see that this was still a massive game, especially with the financial implications. And quite frankly, they, they just didn't turn up. Um, and to be honest, at that point, I was really, really worried, uh, not even from the financial um, implications of not getting into Champions League. So you need to remember, Scott, we, not only did we not drop in to the UEFA Cup, that was us, we were out. Yeah, we were totally out. Yeah, um, I was worried about the domestic season, but, you know, for whatever reason, which I just don't understand, that seemed to make Murray find the money from somewhere to go on a wee splurge to strengthen us for the domestic season. And his... this wasn't a new thing with Murray. Murray did this in the past. He did it, I remember, going out to Fenerbahce. Remember in 2001, he brings yeah. in Ball and Arvaladze, like, at properly £8 million. Pounds. Like, yeah. why are they not brought in before? Like, you're, yeah. you're banking on this money, especially now when you're sitting with nothing. It just makes no sense. It's not It's not good foresight, in my opinion. No, because at the end of the day, if, you know, we bring these players in beforehand, and again, I go back to Malmo, if we even spent, you know, maybe four or five million, it's, it's a calculated gamble. Mm-hmm. If we don't get that Champions League qualification after spending the money for these players to play in these qualifiers, we've still got the, the chance of getting the Champions League through the league. So there's two bites of the cherry. I understand, you know, if you don't get the qualification, you don't need the money is essentially wasted and, and, and it's putting us in a more kind of uh, precarious position. But at the end of the day, as you say, Murray still spent the money after the fact anyway. So if he'd done it before the fact, it would have it made much more sense and would have gave us a, a far better chance of actually getting that qualification because what, what this team clearly needed at this point in time was freshness. Mm-hmm. They've just done a 65-game season and, you know, what was it, five weeks later, they're, they're straight back at it. And yeah. also that summer, most of the team were playing international football, so you're talking they had a two-week break. So freshness was needed, and, you know, the, the players that were in, that brought in for that kind of fresh approach was an untested, unproven, um, inexperienced Kyle Lafferty, and then obviously Valichka, but we all know what happened with him. He's just a, he was essentially a Lithuanian Chris Boyd. Mm. After this, the fans are furious I think it is that hangover thing as well but what comes out of that the few days after I think we all knew that Carlos Queller was going to leave it'd been a revelation the season before it it had been a, it'd been an absolute amazing piece of business for Rangers but this is Murray's problem in a nutshell with this period if David Murray had come out and said at this point we need Carlos Queller's going because we've sold, we've bought him for two million and we've all, we've got a clause that if he goes next, if it goes in the next twelve months, we get we sell him for eight million. It's a six million profit. It's good business. It's proper good business for him. But he wasn't clear on it, and that's the frustration fans have with Murray. He's talking in riddles at this point, saying that yeah, he's he's allowed it, but the financial situation is not that bad. It doesn't need to happen for financial reasons. What is that all about? What is Murray talk? Why not just say we've got him for a song? We're selling them for a decent profit because that's that's good business, and I just don't get what he does here. It's just complete bravado. Um, is what we kind of what we know now about Murray. I think at the time we all knew that's what it was like as well, but mm-hmm. we allowed it to happen. We almost fed his ego in a way purely because we were successful on the pitch. Um, whereas now I think Rangers directors and chairmen, I think they're under a lot more scrutiny now, uh, purely because of what David Murray done. 
Um, if I remember correctly, I think the 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 narrative coming out, I brought Sagarden Carlos Quella before he was sold was he was going to sign a new contract. Um, mm-hmm. And that's all the talk, you know, that, that we got as fans. And the next thing you know, we're blindsided because he's off and he's got this clause in his contract that, you know, as you say, we're told after the fact. Um, and make no mistake about it, man, Carlos Quella is an amazing piece of business. But yeah. what a loss that was because he was just sensational in that one season he spent with Rangers. But as you say, you can't... Even if he didn't have that clause, even if it was just an offer from Aston Villa for eight million quid for a player who signed for two million in a twelve and a six million pound profit in a twelve month period, it's still fantastic business. But at this point, we're out against Kaunas. We've got David Weir, Christian Daly, and Kirk Broadfoot as our options at centre half. Mm-hmm. Um, the league's fast approaching, and yeah, it's it's not looking good at all. And the fans are kind of like, what's going on here? But luckily. We, we get a replacement. Uh, I, I think we're more than lucky with the replacement we got because Bagheera, um, if you remember, he wasn't the number one target. It was Glenn Lovins. Yeah, that's right. Can you imagine if it was Lovins we got instead of yeah. Bagheera? You know what I mean? Then we would have been knackered. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it, it, it gets us wee splodge going with Bagheera coming in, Mendes, Davis, brings in Edu, Aaron from Valencia, yeah. I remember him. But yeah. Why, as you say, why is that not done? Three? Why are they not done them once before and give yourself a proper chance at this money? But despite all that, Rangers do start with the domestic season well. They win six of their first seven games. The highlight of that was obviously that 4-2 win at Parkhead. Miller scoring a double, Mendes with that terrific goal. But it was the last game as well for Daniel Kuzan, who played his last game before joining Hull the following day. And did he leave in a high? Yeah, he did. Um but again, I'm obviously, hindsight, I'm totally delighted that he stayed and, and he played in that game. Um, took everybody by surprise that he was named in the team sheet. But again, you have to question Rangers' strategy. strategy sorry, easy for me to say, strategy here, because um, Kuzan basically told us in the January that he wanted to go. And the only reason he couldn't go in the January was because he played for three clubs if yeah. he signed for a new club. So we knew he wanted to go. Why did we wait to the last day of the transfer window to actually sell him? Um, especially when you consider the players we brought on, Kenny Muller, Velichka, Lafferty. That's three strikers. It's almost so, like, you're, like you're preparing for someone to go into it. Yeah. It should have been away long before then. Um, we should have had that money in. Um, but as I say, the facts are, he did stay to the last day of the window. He, he did play his last game against Celtic. Came right out for the cold. Came from nowhere. I think everybody who's seen the team sheet that, that day were like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. And uh, yeah, he went out with a bang. Like he, to get an assist, a goal and a red card in your final game <laughs> against Celtic, you know, there is no better way of getting out. And, um, you know, that's what you got with Daniel Kuzan. You know, if 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 Rangers were playing Motherwell that day at Fort Park and Kuzan was played, Kuzan would have touched the ball about four times and that's it. And, you know, he couldn't have been bothered against the small teams, but when he came to the big teams, he was a big game player and he was fantastic that day. And um, it was probably one of the best second half performances I've ever seen um, in an old firm match. Yeah, it was. It was it was unplayable that day. And as you say, it was that hot and cold thing. If, the, if he was up for it, Daniel Kuzan was unplayable. But if he wasn't up for it, then he was a man down. And that's yeah. Daniel Kuzan in a nutshell. But Miller obviously scores a double. I think Miller can... Uh, this cements him as a in the good books again and he's terrific I think he's terrific that day as well he's finished for the second goal his first goal is really good and then obviously Mendes does it with that amazing strike that was a massive win going to Celtic Park and winning 4-2 
And in many ways, it was unexpected as well. Um, yeah, we started the season well, but Celtic also started the season mm-hmm. well. Our record at Parkhead wasn't great. Um, yeah, we got the win um, the, uh, against Celtic uh, when Walter came back, Ugo Egil scored. Uh, but after that, we, we, we hadn't beaten them. Obviously, we got beat twice at Parkhead in the space of like 11 days, uh, getting into the title run in the previous year. Um, so if we were going to win, if you were going to ask me before that match if you we were going to win, I would say it would be tight. But by God, we absolutely smashed them. And Foto is very flattering. Remember, they got a goal in the very last minute, like the worst wall you'll ever see um, from a Rangers team when, it, when they're obviously defending a free kick but had holes all over the place and Nakamura just picked his spot and I felt really you seen the reaction of Alan McGregor when, when Nakamura scored that goal the game's over you know what I mean it's 4-2 and McGregor's getting off his seat and that's purely because it flattered them that should have been 5 or 6 that day we absolutely smashed them and the performance really did come out of nowhere because I did expect a typical Walter Smith Celtic Parkhead performance sitting in soaking up the pressure getting them on the counter attack there was none of that we just went for the throat mm-hmm. and as you say Kenny Muller's goal the finish for that first goal was just absolutely unbelievable and to be honest with you um, and I will be honest here when he got the two goals that was it for me um, I'd, I'd accepted him back in because um, I just thought it was brilliant and you will remember hopefully the banner that the Celtic fans I think it was a Green Brigade that had out it was Kenny from South Park, and they said, "Oh my God, they've seen Kenny." And yeah, we <laughs> never seen. I don't remember that. No, yeah. Oh my God, they seen Kenny, and then it was Kenny from South Park. Yeah, with Kenny <laughs> inside it, and yeah, I think that banner was retired indefinitely after that. Yeah, I don't think you'll ever you'll ever have seen that again. But that win was obviously massive for Rangers and domestic. It's only domestic front Rangers are playing in Celtic, obviously in the Champions League. But going into the next Old Firm game on the twenty seventh of December. Celtic are four points clear. McDonald's goes that volley and it's seven points and Celtic won one nil at Ibrooks getting into 2009. That was just a bad day, wasn't it? That was just a... Rangers get absolutely nothing going at all that day. If we played the way we played at Parkhead, we'd have won that day. Celtic mm-hmm. were in disarray. They started with Koki Mizuno, if you remember, because yeah. they, they suspended Aidan McGeady. Like, they actually suspended him for... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like a breach of discipline or something. Two weeks out, they had injuries. Basically, getting into that match, we were heavy, heavy favourites. We had a basically a full-strength team. I think Bouguera or Weir, one of the two, they were actually injured or suspended. So, Cup Broadfoot started at centre-half, and it was his fault that McDonald got that goal. Yeah. That, that was just pitiful, a, a pathetic performance, to be honest with you. And yeah, um, yeah, I mean, you know me, you like, you see me on Twitter, like, I'm very reactionary. I'd conceded the title at this point. I just didn't see how we could close a seven-point gap, albeit with a game in hand. Um, I just, Celtic had the momentum. Celtic were going for four in a row, if you remember. Mm-hmm. They had the experience, the know-how, and... See, to be honest with you, Scott, the biggest thing that happened to us that really, really helped us this year is the Celtic board actually made a massive cock-up because yeah. they refused to sign Stephen Fletcher. If they got Stephen Fletcher over the line, I think it would have been curtains for Rangers, to be yeah. honest. Um, because, again, Celtic's record at Ibrox was shocking. Um I can't remember the last victory before that that, that one, uh, but... It was under it was under McLeish, I think, because it didn't win under Le yeah. yeah, I think it was under McLeish. Um and yeah, they came here with half a squad playing this unknown Japanese 20-year-old who done absolutely nothing in the game and nothing after the game. 
And yet they walked away with a win, and it was yeah, it was it was the, the only word I can really use to describe it was pathetic. I have no idea after performing the way we did at Parkhead and showing that if you attacked a Celtic team, they were very vulnerable. You know, McManus, Colwell, Mark Wilson at the back, and yet we decided to play as if we were the away team. Don't get it. And yeah, at this point, I'm I'm really worried. I'm really worried about obviously not winning the league, but I'm really worried about Walter's future here because I'm thinking Walter's legacy is at stake. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair as well. When Walter gets told in the January, I think by the the bank that you need to cut costs, he had to. The likes of Chris Burke and uh, Jean Claude Dartsfall would been told to leave in free transfers. But the main story of that January was a saga regarding Chris Boyd going to Birmingham. Now, Chris Boyd didn't want to go. Made it perfectly clear. Refused personal terms. Murray, again, with this nonsense statement, if you remember, there's something along the lines of, we don't have to sell Boyd, but if we, if we don't sell him, then there's problems. Now, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but what is what is that all about? What is he talking about there? You don't need to sell him or you don't. Again, it just comes down to bravado. He, Murray never, ever liked to have any heat on him. He didn't like to admit that there was a problem. Um we could all see that there was a problem. Um, mm-hmm. We could all almost sense that there was an issue. Thank God for Walter Smith, really, because he was a very honest, dignified man. And, and Walter told us the truth all throughout this whole saga. Yeah. But yet, his chairman is coming out with just, blust, just bluster and rubbish. And, you know, no one wanted Chris Boyd to go as, from a fan's perspective. How important I, was Boyd at this point? Boyd's the reason it's seven points. Really, Boyd's keeping Rangers going in the league? Yeah. It's, you know, I think football fans nowadays were more, were more educated in terms of we know what fan, uh, sorry, we know what players are expected to do within a system. But back then, all we knew was Chris Boyd was ineffective for 85 minutes of a match, but the five minutes in that match, he's probably scored three, four goals. Yeah. That's genuinely not an exaggeration. So Chris Boyd was adored by the Rangers fans. And the fact that he was potentially going to Birmingham for, what was it, 3.5 million? Yeah, I think it was just under four, I think, yeah. He could not understand why it was probably being sold for less than what we felt it was worth. But really, when you actually look at it now, nearly four million quid for Chris Boyd, it's actually pretty good because we showed, especially in the seasons after, I think next season was his last season, but the, the, the third season, life goes on without Chris Boyd and we were totally fine. So it was just trying to get that kind of balance, I think, um, in terms of the, the finances and the plane and, and, and on the playing field. But no matter what, football fans are emotional, no matter what, that deal had to happen. Mm-hmm. And Boyd, ref- Boyd refused. Um, for whatever reason, which is his right. And by the way, anybody who says they were annoyed at Chris Boyd for refusing is a liar because I think we were all relieved. But as you said, Murray's spin on it was just ridiculous. You know, we don't have to sell him, but if we don't sell him, there's problems. Like, what one is it? It's such a contradictory, yeah. oxymoronic thing to say. And, and it's um, still that, it's that thing as well. I think that, is it that thing like, you've got a media who don't challenge you. Now, at this point, I, like, he's not as close with the media as, I think they've saw through his bravado, but he's still in that thing of he can, and he's in his own head and his own ego. He can spread, he can spin whatever line he wants, and it doesn't get challenged. This is that's this is that I think this is what I don't think it's so much that he's not challenged. The the thing with Murray was 
he sold newspapers because mm-hmm. he gave he gave fantastic headlines. Mm-hmm. And if you annoyed Murray, he didn't give you any headlines. And that's what it was. So yeah, in a way, yeah, that is probably why they didn't challenge him. But it was far too cosy with the media because as I said, he he sold you know thousands and thousands and thousands of, of newspapers purely because of the rubbish that he, he spouted. And you know, journalists had to box clever with that. They know like journalists on the show, but they know that Murray coming out with something like that is just ridiculous. But if they say it bad about it, Murray won't talk to them. Mm-hmm. And that's going to affect their business. Whereas Rangers fans, we we could start to see at this point, like what is he talking about? And and we could tell that that kind of power that, that Murray had over Rangers and Scottish football to a certain extent, he you know loosened his grip on that, not by choice, but because he was forced to. He was no longer the powerful businessman who had all this money and was a chairman of Rangers and could do this and that and the fiver for every sorry the tenor for every fiver thing was long gone. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of guy that David Murray was. He knows he's made outlandish statements like the fight the tenor for every fiver, the moonbeams, mm-hmm. and none of it came to fruition. And Rangers fans were starting to realize you're just full of shit, mate. And mm-hmm. this is it tried to keep the fans on side, but also try to give us a thinly viewed message. But we could see, we could all see through it at this point, and that's what worried him because he didn't want to look like an idiot. And to be quite frankly, he might not have looked like a complete idiot at the time. But as it transpired, as the years went on, he he became more than the villain. Yeah, and <coughs> Boyle obviously stays, and Rangers pick up in the league January and February. They win five games and draw two, and they're leveling points with Celtic heading into March. But March is not a good month if you remember. Losing at home to Inverness, a draw with Hearts, but the League Cup final against Celtic that capped off this disastrous month. Rangers were three points behind, but losing that first trophy, and it was the most boring old firm cup final I've ever seen. And Celtic just won it in extra time. There was just nothing in this game at all, and it was just kept rounded off this appalling month. Yeah, it could have went either way that game, to be honest. Uh, neither team really deserved to win it. No. Obviously, when you, you look at the facts, Celtic did eventually score two goals. I think the first goal was Darren O'Day, and then the last goal was a last-minute penalty. So, yeah, McGeady. Yeah. Um, yeah, they scored two goals, so they deserve to win the cup final. That's that's the facts of the matter. But beforehand, it really could have went either way. As you say, it was boring. It was There was no needle in it. Um, it was just sort of... I, I'm not really sure what either team's approach. I think both teams were scared of both teams, if that makes sense. Yeah. But as you said, it was just it just capped off quite a bad month. Um, and yeah, we still had the Scottish Cup to go, but we just had to put full focus into the league. Um, but obviously there was another setback to come. Mm-hmm, there was that. And I, well, can I switch gears a wee bit just to talk about an off-field incident that took place around about this time as well. Barry Ferguson and Alan McGregor on Scotland duty and obviously the incident with drinking in Loch Lomond. Walter Smith had phoned the pair and told them to keep keep their head down, but as you, as you remember, Ferguson and McGregor make it worse in the bench in the game against Iceland. Murray, right, McGregor doesn't kick a ball again this season, right? McGregor, I think a lot of people think McGregor's finished as well, but Murray's this, he's not the dynamic chairman he was back in the 90s, and but this, this is Murray dy- as dynamic. Murray tells Ferguson after the Le Guin incident that if you, you mess up again, your Rangers career's over. 
and he follows through on that because Ferguson didn't think that Murray would follow through. Why is Murray doing it with this? Is this is purely, in my opinion, Murray? You're you're wrong in David Murray. You're not wrong in anybody else. Is that fair to say? I think I think there's some substance to it, but I think if Walter Smith wanted to keep Barry Ferguson, he would. He, David Murray would would have allowed it. Um, I think it was more to do with the fact that Walter had had enough. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't cross Walter. Um, and I believe that Barry did quite a few times. Um, and he was on his very last warning, both from Murray and Walter. And at the end of the day, when you're the Rangers captain, you need to handle yourself in a certain way. And essentially what Barry Ferguson did was embarrass the club embarrassed himself, embarrassed his manager, and they brought down a younger teammate. Um, McGregor, to that point, yeah, he had some headlines in the news, but it's his private life, you know, that kind of stuff happens. But in terms of his behaviour on and off the park, it was exemplary, you know what I mean? And yet, mm-hmm. there's Barry Ferguson, the captain of the Rangers, you know, leading him down some sort of path that just really beggars belief. As I say, I'll say it again, he was a captain of Rangers. He should have been leading by example. And then what's also for, forgetting, forgotten, sorry, is he was a captain of Scotland. Mm-hmm. There's no way. I mean, I'm no Charles Bully fan or Stephen Presley fan. I know they two were involved in this, right? And they didn't exactly handle themselves well at all either. But there's no way Barry Ferguson, captain of Scotland, captain of Rangers, should be drinking till all hours in the morning. No. Um, and making an arse himself, really. And then the incident itself, First of all, they shouldn't have had they shouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. They shouldn't have been on the bench because they never played for Scotland again. Obviously, McGregor did, but as far as the SFA were concerned, they were done. Mm-hmm. So why were they on the bench? <coughs> makes no if, you're sense. Put, if you're going to put two players on the bench and you have absolutely no intention of playing them, but what what's the reason there? There was a third, David Marshall was in that squad, mm-hmm. and there were other midfielders in that squad. What would have happened if? Craig Gordon got an injury in that game. McGregor has to come on, and then three days later, he's, he's suspended for life. Mm. So there is some fault there from the management in SFA, but all the blame has to lie. The majority of the blame has to lie on the door of Barry Ferguson um, and Alan McGregor. I thought the, I thought the treatment of McGregor from Rangers was very harsh. I think he should have. I think he should have had a slap in the wrist. This was his first sort of misdemeanor, if you will. And it's even you actually think about it, Scott. He's played another ten years with Rangers combined. Mm-hmm. Not another incident. They can no. an utter professional. Um, whereas Ferguson, up to this point, what, how many incidents had that been up to this point? The top exactly. well, yeah. Le Guen, the, the Le one was the kind of final slap in the wrist. Like, <laughs> we gave him for that. We gave him the benefit of the doubt for that. Yeah. When, when you're gonna when you're gonna cross Walter and you're gonna disregard what Walter says to you, um, I'm sorry, but you know, as much as I love Barry Ferguson, even I was dumb at this point. Yeah, you know, I think that's yeah. fair. But yeah. Rangers, after that incident, Rangers continue to, they, they turn it round in April. Four straight wins to cut the gap to a point and they put their place in the Scottish Cup final where they would play Falkirk. The one over Hearts in the beginning of May meant the final Old Firm game was going to be pivotal at Ibrooks, and Stephen Davis scores that goal just at the end of the first half and they move two points clear of Celtic. That was a massive game. That was a massive victory, would you not agree? Yeah, it was, uh, it was huge, absolutely huge. I mean, we'd obviously um, we'd closed the gap and overturned the gap into, into, into our favour. Um, there was still another, obviously, we twist and turn to come, but mm-hmm. yeah, that game, it just felt huge. Um, 
when, when you kind of knew the the first team to score were going to go and win it because it was that edgy, it was that tight. And luckily for us, Stephen Davis got it. Kenny Muller set the goal up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you just expect that we'll get the job done. Um, and that'll be it, first league title in four years. But as I said, there was an awful few twists and turns to come. But that that game itself, that was probably the biggest old firm game in a long, long time. And on the perspective of a Rangers fan and a Celtic fan, because a lot was riding on it. Celtic had romped the last couple of leagues. Um and this was so tight, you couldn't split both teams. And Celtic only needed a point that day. Um, a point would have far more benefits, far more benefits to Celtic than with Rangers. And we managed to get the win. And again, you talk about dullness. The game for a league title deciding old fun game it didn't have many talking points as such. Uh, but at the end of the day, we got the job done. We got the win, and uh, we're all we're all delighted. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those games that you, it was the goal happened and not much else happened. But it, as you say, it turned, it was a bit of a, a swing from then on up until the final day. Hibs played a part. The Rangers got a draw away to Hibs and it gave Celtic the, the initiative and goal difference. But Celtic would slip up at Easter Road as well. Yeah. And it would mean that we'd go into this final day. Rangers, all Rangers had to do was win and go to time, uh, tip, Tanadai, sorry, and win the game. And that's exactly what they got. Kyle Lafferty gives Rangers the best possible start. Mendez makes it 2-0 just before half-time and Boyd rounds it off as Rangers would win 3-0 and wrestle the title back from Celtic on their first time in four years. What's your memories of that day? My, my memories of that day, getting into that game, was I wasn't very confident because if you remember, the other record that Tannadice was shocking. Yeah. Um, and I fully expected a slip-up. I, I really did. Um, purely because of a record. Um and let's be honest, this Rangers team had not really shown bottle as such. Yeah, you can look at the, the old fun game with Davis scoring that, that that has shown bottle to a certain degree, but we then dropped the points to Hibs and we rely on a favour from Hibs to then do the business against Celtic, which luckily we get. And I'm thinking to myself, can I ask him, like, this is, you know, I, I really just don't think that we have the bottle to do this. And, and Dundee United seem to have had a number, especially at Tannadice. But, you know, an early goal settled everything down by a player who, let's be honest, Scott shouldn't even have been playing in that game because no. remember the week before he dived. Yeah. Um, Charlie Mulgrew, you know, assaulted him. It was disgusting. Um, <laughs> but then when Pedro Mendes gets that goal, uh, just in the stroke of half time, I knew, I knew it. I knew it would win. I knew yeah. it would win. Um, don't get me wrong. Even at three 0 man, I'm still edgy. I'm still shouting, calling to get the ball clear, but. Uh, we've seen it out and, you know, champions and it was just uh, just euphoric, really, because when you think about it, the seven-point gap um, in January and then we'd still, we still were our own worst enemy at times, especially that period in March, and it was just like, are we ever, you know, are we ever going to win this league again, kind of thing, because this is a team we've got, it's certainly better than the Le Guin and McLeish teams, but we got the job done and that's all that mattered in the end. And yeah, I was absolutely I was absolutely delighted to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely as well. And they would win that league memorably in that day and then go and complete the double a natural noble goal against Falkirk would clinch the Scottish Cup and the Cup League Cup double in the 08-09. But moving into that summer, the garden should have been rosy, but it was far from it because it's the <laughs> off-field situation now is becoming even worse. Lloyds have took over H Boss and David Murray's empire is no longer has his the, the bank have got him with the short and curlies. 
And in August of 2009, Murray steps down as chairman again. He'd done it before and kind of lied, as what, lied to why that he'd kind of achieved everything. But this, this was mainly to find a buyer. Alistair Johnson had been promoted from director to chairman. He'd experienced as an accountant with American companies. He'd, he was clearly in to get a buyer, is that fair to say? Yeah, it was. I. He was more of a kind of stewardship, um, mm. just overlooking everything and, and making sure that the company, if you will, was in the best possible shape for someone to buy. Um, I mean, Alistair Johnson is, is back on the board now. And um, what we know about Alistair Johnson is he's a massive Rangers fan and mm-hmm. he, he tried he tried his best to avoid the Craig White situation, which shows, by the way, I know we're not here to talk about Craig White, but it shows that Johnson didn't really have any power at all. No, he didn't. He absolutely didn't. You say there that he was there to get a buyer. He was there to make sure that, you know, everything was running smoothly for David Murray to bring a buyer in. Yeah. um, Which is just ridiculous. Um, But, you know, good guy. As I say, still on the board now. I trust him completely. Um, And he done his best. At the end of the day, he's a Rangers fan. And he, he can basically... Tell his grandchildren, like, I was a chairman of Rangers once, and 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 he done a he done a decent job. You know, what I mean, we're going to talk about a season, Scott, where we get two in a row. He was a chairman for that, and mm-hmm. he overseen that without spending a penny. So yeah. that's an achievement in itself. Yeah, and you see, you talk about the not spending a penny. Rangers only make one signing, and it's a loan that summer. Jerome Rotan from PSG. Not anywhere near the player he was at the in his time at Monaco, but it was this whole season, right? Right, the well, well can I mention this season just as I want? Our Rangers are very, very good considering that the shoestring budget they've got. They win the league, pivotal wins against Celtic, who just couldn't get anything going under Tony Mowbray. But how big an achievement is this for Smith to win this championship considering what he, the, the hand he was dealt, shall we say? Yeah, it's, it's a massive achievement. It'll go down as one of the great Rangers title victories when you consider the circumstances. Um, and the circumstances were, look, Celtic got a Premier League manager, albeit he got them relegated. Um, mm. I was surprised Strachan ste- stepped down, to be honest, and uh, slightly surprised that they went with Mowbray, but I can see why. Although they got West Brom relegated, they also got West Brom up. And then you look at the job he done uh, with Hibs, mm-hmm. and you You've seen the type of football we like to play. And I thought, right, this is a bit of a challenge. And and they backed them, you know what I mean? They, they, they backed Mowbray to a certain extent. I think five or six new signings, good bit of money spent. And I was thinking, right, okay, um, we need to get off to a good start here. And we need to hope that Celtic have some sort of teething issues. And they did. But I fully expected Celtic to come good at some point, and we just mm-hmm. had to keep the momentum on. And Celtic's, let's just call it, they absolutely imploded. That obviously helped us a bit, but even without that implosion, I still think we would have won the league because we were that consistent, yeah. we were that good. It wasn't pretty at times, but, you know, there's a spell in this season uh, between uh, November and December where Rangers just blew teams away every week. Um, I think they scored something like 24 goals in the space of four or five matches. Um, so we did play good football, but when we needed to grind it out, we did grind it out. And the the crucial the crucial part here was we took care of all from games. You know, what yeah. I mean? that, that that was that was it. Um, 
and as we say, all of it spending a penny. We brought Rotten in, um, just a complete. Uh, it was a signing for the signing sake, you know what I mean? We, I, I I just don't understand it. It was completely. If we'd signed Jerome Rotten, you know, three, four, five years previous, it would have been a great signing. Let's yeah. But the the guy was done. Um, I'm sh- I'm pretty sure that if Walter was given the budget to at least bring a player in. The budget he was given for Roten, I'm pretty sure he could have found somebody within the Scottish League that would actually have done as a ton more than Roten. But um, it makes it all the more remarkable because, as 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 we discussed, like no new signings, um, quite a few departures as well, um, and yet we still managed to win the league. Yeah, I mean, you see the squads now with the bare bones, and getting into Europe, Rangers were drawn against Seville. Stuttgart and Unai, it was a cherry, a decent draw on paper, but it was just a disaster. Wasn't it? it was just so many, but the four-one defeat against Dunaria and Urza Cheney. Do you have a wee funny story about that? I was doing the star ball for that game. The star ball? Yeah. So you remember the Champions League, the flag in the middle, the centre oh, circle. I've done. I've done the star ball for that game. Jesus Christ! Went off the park. Rangers were one 0 in front. Went to my seat and it was one each, and it yeah. just went downhill from there. But yeah, I can. If you remember, Lord, we we started that you know uh, group campaign. Uh, sorry, group campaign. Remarkably well, that goal by Baguera and Stuttgart. Yeah, Stuttgart, yeah. Get a point in Germany is not an easy feat, you know what I mean? And we get that point, and then the next game's against Unare, and you think to yourself, this is a chance of getting four points out of six here. This is be mm-hmm. a start. And to be honest, we see that Unare game, that was just that was utterly pathetic from Rangers. Um, mm-hmm. Do I blame Walter? Not really, because I think the team that he put out should have been more than good enough to beat Unare. Um, it was just a complete, I, I don't even know. I can, I can never really understand. I could never really understand why it was so bad, but they, they just collapsed and we they, they they really were not a good team at all without getting two Jackie McNamara on you. They really weren't. We've, <laughs> we'd shown that when we went over to Romania. They 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 obviously got that late goal for the, the, the draw on one each, but they were not a good team. Um Stuttgart weren't a great team, don't get me wrong, Seville were a brilliant team. Seville were outstanding that game. You, you, you have to say, man, like that is, if we get to the Champions League this season and we get a group like that this season, <coughs> I'm winning the last 16. And yeah. It was a real, real opportunity to miss for Rangers. It really, really was. How we managed to be so bad to get two points. All, all we got was two points in that group stage. It was just, it was... Proper going back to Walter's first spell, really. Mm-hmm. Well, he did look naive in, in Europe. But as I say, yeah, there is some blame attached to Walter, but I blame the players more. It was just, I really couldn't understand why they were performing so poorly. And, and, and let's, let's just call it for what it is. Like, I could probably accept the 4 1 against Seville, but you know, man, it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was just a bad, a bad European run. And especially, you're, you're coming from. Two years before, Rangers are going to UEFA Cup finals and just since it was absolutely symbolic. But October, a home draw against Hibs and this is where I think it hits rock bottom. Like this is this is the this is where I think a lot of people, even the most passionate David Murray defender, had to go, wait a minute here, something's happening. Walter Smith comes out in his post-match interview and basically says the bank's running the club. Lloyd had obviously took over from H boss. Donald Buer, you mentioned earlier, he'd come in to to get a grip of this debt and basically just get it under control. And 
Lloyd's wanted Murray Solvent to find a buyer and get Rangers off his hands because they they had so much riding in David Murray. When a yeah. bank is when a bank goes into a, a football club, there's only ever one outcome that this is grim, it's grave, and it just shows you just and you say just Walter Smith coming out and being honest and saying the bank's running the club here. I'm I'm shoehorned. The thing is, we we talk about the bravado for David Murray and we talk about him wanting to be the hero and the big man and stuff. The clever thing here, really, to protect his legacy would have been to sell every single asset we had. Mm -hmm. I'm talking, I can't remember if Stephen Naismith got injured. I don't think he did. I think Naismith was all right. Was, did he get injured this season? I, I think it was the season before, I think. So Naismith's an asset. Boyd, he's still an asset. You know, um, Bouguera, Papage to a certain extent, Edu, Alan McGregor, probably the biggest asset we've got. You could have got seven, eight, nine, ten million for him. Every single asset that Rangers had should have been sold, mm -hmm. and the bank should have been repaid, and Rangers should have been protected for eternity after that. Because you fast forward 24 months from this period, all these assets walk out the door, and we don't get a penny for them. Correct. And what should have happened was Murray would have, should have said, right, we need to sell all these players. We need to get this bank off our back and we need to get, we're going to go through some tough times in the next year or two, but we're doing it to preserve the Rangers' um, kind of legacy and, and to avoid any embarrassment. Instead, they went the opposite way where he embarrassed the Rangers' support for the next four or five years. Even after he left, for the next four or five years, it was the worst time ever to be a Rangers fan. Mm -hmm. And that purely became a fact because of his mismanagement. When the bank were that much on him, we should have took our medicine and just went through maybe one or two years of a drought. We're still in the Premier League. We're still, you know, going to be competing to get into Europe. We might pick up a trophy or two, and you never know, we might actually win a league, but at least it's no Division Three, League One and Championship, and at least we don't have to have team uh, fans from other teams saying that we're a new club and all that. He absolutely yeah. ruined his legacy when, for me, the answer was sitting right in front of him. You mm -hmm. get a lot of assets there that you could probably command 15 to 20 million pounds for. Get them out the door. Yeah, we'll know we're in the league. Yeah, we're handing the league to Celtic. But at the end of the day, the, the consequences are not doing that. We all know what happened. And why he never looked at that as a viable option was purely for his own selfish needs to be the chairman of Rangers or the owner of Rangers who are going for two in a row and look what I've achieved without spending any money when yeah. we, we should have been more savvy. Mm -hmm. And around about this time, there's, there's talk in the press about a potential, a couple of potential buyers. Graham Duffy was the first one. Do you remember him? I don't remember Graham Duffy. But he was a kind of, he was perceived as this kind of tycoon for America. He was going to come in. He's, he, his big plan was raising 50 million through a membership scheme. He was going to buy the club and service the debt. The problem was, though, he'd, you looked into his background, his contacts were worse than what Worse, worse than what was to come, let's show, let's say, and he was already bankrupt, and it was just he didn't he, he didn't have the resources. He was a pie in the sky name, but one name that does come up, and he plays a bit of a part in the next then in, in the eventual sale, Andrew Ellis. 
Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, I just uh, the first thing you seen with Andrew Ellis was he was the chairman or owner of Northampton Town. Yeah, just, this is no, this is not going. This isn't up. You know, without even looking at his financial um, or his business background or what his finances are, you just know like when you hear that the ex-owner of Northampton Town is considering buying Rangers, you're like, nah, this isn't. This isn't up. And again, another. I don't want to call him a con man because I, I don't I think when you look at all the con man <laughs> all the Ibrox, I think he's probably loaned the, the list, but certainly a cancel. And how he was even given the opportunity to do due diligence on Rangers when quite clearly he didn't have the resources to to be the Rangers owner or chairman or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it that, just, I mean again, it just, that's how desperate Murray was. Aye, and it's that simple. Murray was desperate and he would have, I mean, he sells the club to a complete charlatan, but this is Murray for me, right? Murray, his big thing we spoke about in the last show was, I'll sell to the person, person with the best interest in the, for the club at heart. Murray's, Murray's not interested in that anymore. Not was it was he ever, but again, he's saying that just to preserve his, preserve himself. But, I mean, look at the names that are linked with Rangers at this point. Graham Duffy, Andrew Ellis. That shows you not only how grim the situation is, but also like this is a. I mean, if Murray had took took the club to market ten years before, you'd probably be getting like um unbelievable amount of people kind of lining up asking how much it's worth. I think the the issue with David Murray also was you know Dave King, uh, Douglas Park, um, John Bennett, um, all the rest of the kind of well-known guys that have been involved in Rangers in the last couple of years. They didn't just become Rangers fans in the last couple of years. They were Rangers fans throughout all their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you try to tell me they weren't interested at this period of time. Of course they were. Murray didn't want to sell with them. Do you, think they had the, do you think they had the resources though to do that? I think they had the resources and I think they had the willingness to do it. It was mm-hmm. just purely because Murray did not want to sell with them. When Murray said that he wanted to sell to the right people, that was somebody that didn't know Rangers and wouldn't expose him. Yeah. Murray wanted to protect his legacy because Murray knew that if Dave King get the keys to Rangers or Douglas Park get the keys to Rangers at this period in time, they were going to find all sorts and they mm. were going to find the truth and that would have ruined his legacy. But the ironic thing was, he ruined his legacy anyway because of what he'd done and he, gen- I believe David Murray when he says that he genuinely was doing the right thing for Rangers, like he thought he was doing the right thing for Rangers, he just didn't realise how bad it actually was to become. Um, I think he always knew administration was possible, but he didn't be he didn't want to be the one to pull the trigger on that. No. See, see if Dave King and Douglas Park came in and then stuck us in administration for a couple of months and then brought us back out, that is probably what needed to happen. Yeah. And David Murray just didn't want to be associated with that because they he knew sorry he knew that if that's what was going to happen, who's Dave King and Douglas Park going to blame for that? It's going to be David Murray. Who did Craig White blame? Craig White didn't put any blame on David Murray's door at all. No. As far as we were concerned, how many people were raging at David Murray when that happened? When when the initial administration happened, very few. It wasn't until the things started coming out that we thought, all right, Murray's done us here. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Murray was doing. He was protecting his own legacy, but trying to spin it as protecting Rangers, which, to be fair, I think he was trying to, but he was far more concerned about his own reputation. And it's just, it's really, really 
it's you know it's this ego drive that he was on. Yeah, and it's ego dominates ego yeah. dominates your decision making, and that's that's the big difference for me between Murray and the the people we'll talk about in the next episodes who had no interest in preserve, preserving anything. Murray wasn't an evil guy. He wasn't. What he was, he get his problem was, in my opinion, he just gambled too much and didn't admit, he couldn't bring himself to admit that he got it wrong. No, he would never do it. Never do it. And he still hasn't, still hasn't to this day. If you asked him now, if, if, if he come on here and you asked him about it, he would give you some bullshit story. He would, he would blame as he's always done, he would blame Craig White, who is no innocent party in this, let me tell you. No, he isn't, but he but, wouldn't just blame Craig White, he would blame, like, other things, he would blame the financial crisis that he he certainly played a part in. He would blame the things before that, the the Twin Towers thing, the, every, everything he could blame, he would blame it on that. He wouldn't put it on, I have totally mismanaged the last few years of my time at that club. At, at the end of the day, the facts are the facts. Every penny David Murray spent as Rangers chairman wasn't his own money. Correct, and that was we said that back at the back at the beginning. It wasn't about it wasn't about making money. It was a it was a hobby for him. Yeah, and this is a guy that signed off on a twelve million pound striker, who was a flop. He signed off on a six million pound left back Michael Ball, who I don't want to call Ball a flop, but. You know, he came with a serious injury which affected his 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 time at Rangers. Daniel Prodan. Yeah, I was about to say two, <laughs> two and a half million pounds for a remaining centre half that never played. Um Jasper Christensen. Yeah. And the names are endless. Like he he put us on the road to destruction and he will never admit to doing it because no. his excuse will always be the Rangers fans loved it, the Rangers fans demanded it. You weren't moaning at the time. We weren't moaning at the time because we weren't told the truth. If we'd known the truth that this, you know, twelve million pound purchase of Tory Andrew Foe is going to have serious consequences farther down the line, we're going to be like, no, just don't do it. Like, no, we're fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it never his inability to be completely honest with Rangers fans is was his biggest downfall. And that's how when you look at Dave King, Dave King never never lied to Rangers once he told us how how it was you know what I mean mm-hmm. he, he was probably too honest but at the end of the day that's that's what we needed to hear I mean we look at obviously in our next episode you'll talk about all the charlatans that came into Rangers board on with Charles Green and Malcolm Murray and um, <laughs> all the rest of them and Mike Ashley these are guys that can't even look you in the face and we had that after the worst period in our, in, in our history and it goes back to what I'm saying. That is why Murray did not want the club going in the hands of the likes of Dave King and, and, and Park because he knew that they would have told the truth and the truth would have looked really bad in him. But yet, Rangers would have been okay. We would have come out of it fine. We wouldn't have had to play three, four years in the lower divisions. But Murray obviously didn't mind that too much because his legacy was almost intact, but it's not intact anymore because we no. we all seen it. Yeah, we've all seen it, and that's absolutely fair to say. And back on the pitch, Rangers had must have been smattered what wonders to win that league that season, and obviously that's St. Mirren final. The the character of that team to win that game, nine men, Kenny Miller with that late header, but that whole season getting that league over the line and things like that. Like, how much does that speak to Walter Smith? 
Well, for, for me, like, it's so easy to kind of, you know, look at the nine-man cup final. It's so easy to look at the Morris Edu last-minute goal. It's so easy to look at all the kind of grinding out results and getting getting things over the line. But if you want to epitomise just how much that Rangers team fought for each other, fought for Walter Smith, go to Parkhead. Scott McDonald scores in the 79th yeah. minute. Later we get that goal. See that? See the team that day. You remember we were absolutely on the bare bones. We yeah. had the injuries and suspensions. We were we were on our arse. You know what I mean? Chris Boyd played 90 minutes that day because we had no other striker. Danny Wilson played centre half with with David Weir. We were absolutely. We had no right whatsoever to get anything out of that game. Celtic battered us that day, and yet we came out with a draw. And that just that was. That's what it was all about with Walter and this team fought for each other, stood up to the challenge, and they'd done it for the 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 badge in the front of the jersey. And that's all we ever ask for as Rangers fans. We don't ask for much really when you think about it. We don't ask for silky, you know, free-flowing football. Just win, win at all costs. And see if you don't win, have no regrets when you come off that part. Give absolutely 110%. And that's what this team did. And that's why we could I feel that there was a, such a close close bond between this Rangers team and the fans at the time because we really got them that this was a hard-working bunch of players. Maybe technically they weren't the best, but do you know what? Hard work. I think Gary Neville said it the other day there. Hard work beats talent when talent mm-hmm. doesn't work hard. And that's exactly what this Rangers team were. Yeah, absolutely. And getting into that summer of 2010, Walter Smith, he, he had to, he, he had a, a few million to make some signings but he had to was it quality or was it quantity and he did go for quality I mean I'm going to say James Beatty next but James Beatty was the first signing of the, that summer two million pounds from Stoke experienced Premier League player but he was just not James Beatty anymore but Nikita Jelovic was the big signing of that summer four million pounds that was the biggest spend Rangers had had in one player since 2005 that yeah. was I mean when you look back like how how was that possible yeah, I don't really understand it. I think, obviously, getting the automatic Champions League place. Yeah, uh, I think that's the only way that happens, yeah. yeah I think we mortgage some of that. Um, oh, sorry, ring fence some of that, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a total surprise. And then, as you say, the, the thing that really confused me was, right, so we've got a wee bit of money here. We're really getting no players at all um, if injuries and suspensions kick in. Surely we should spread that money out in three, four players. But instead, we seem to just want to focus on the one player. So... Like, I'd be a liar if I says to you, oh, I thought Yelovich was going to be a brilliant signing. I didn't know much about him, but what mm-hmm. really excited me was the fact that Walter was so, you know, he had his heart set on it. There was, on, there was only one guy he wanted, and that was Yelovich. And it was a saga, let's be honest. Rapid Vienna just one they wanted to play ball with. They didn't want to sell him, and then bids were getting rejected, and Yelovich had to force to move through. And you're thinking to yourself... If Walter's so hell-bent on getting this guy in when we really need bodies rather than quality, this guy must have something about him. Yeah. And to eventually get that over the line, you know, you're like, right, okay, let's, just, let's see what you've got. And how many players come in to Rangers, just specifically Rangers? I think Celtic have got a better track record than us when it comes to this kind of thing. But how many players do you see coming into Rangers and hit the ground running? Not many. Not many at all. It takes them a few months sometimes. Um, look at John Lundstrom, you know, it took him six months, but... Um, Big Yelvich man just came in hit the ground running obviously got a really nasty injury but yeah. he, he picked up from where he left off when he came back for his injury and that just showed you that this guy was absolute quality and it just shows you that, that Walter Smith's judgement was, was completely spot on yet again mm-hmm. and he, he got it spot on this, the early start of this, this season 
nine games, first nine league games, Rangers won. They won 3 1 against Celtic at Parkhead in the first Old Firm game. They're one point clear of Celtic at the end of October after that draw at Inverness. But the start of the Champions League campaign, well, I mean, an infamous Walter Smith masterclass at Old Trafford to hold uh, Man United to a 0 0 draw, beat Bursaspor in the first game, and then the third game against Valencia. How Rangers don't win that game, I don't know. But I mean, the start of that season was unbelievable. Yeah, and it had to be because Celtic were um, resurgent, you know what I mean? Like, Lennon really created a siege mentality. And he bought, he bought really well as well. Yeah, aye. Like, well, you know, let's talk about that. Who was responsible for most of the signings? It's a guy that's now with Rangers, John Correct, Park. yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, you look at the signings that, that he made for Celtic that year, we didn't know any of them, really. Uh, mm-hmm. You look at Gary Hooper, uh, Emilio Azagiri, Berem yeah, Kyle, yeah. you know. Um, I think the only one they really got wrong was Efren Juarez, but yeah, it was. I think Ledley came in as well, yeah, 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 Joe Ledley, yeah, it was just and Fraser Foster actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just complete players that you'd never heard of, and they came in as I say, typical Celtic. The players hit the ground running, they, they look a team, and they, as I said, the siege mentality that, that Lennon had created, um, it was quite a you know, a formidable opponent, and you're thinking to yourself there can't be much room margin for error here. We have to be on it. And as you say, nine wins out of nine and, and the start to the Champions League, it was it's quite an incredible start to the season. And it really, really had to be because Celtic, you know, they weren't given us an inch. Um, but that 3-1 game at, at Parkhead, that, that was needed massively because, as I said, Celtic had got a second wind and and Lennon beat Rangers in his first old firm. So this was his that, that was a dead rubber, but this was his first meaningful old firm. Celtic were running riot against all these teams. Um, I think this season they actually won 9-0 against Aberdeen, which is yeah. a surprise. But um, yeah, that Celtic Celtic were proper. This was a proper challenge, more so than it was the, the, the season before. And that 3-1 victory, it really put them in their place and reminded them, like, you're still the champions, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, so you've still got a lot of work to do. And psychologically, I think that helped a lot. Yeah, Celtic went on to have quite a good uh, run of form against Rangers, but without that 3-1 victory, I don't think we're looking at three in a row. No, absolutely not. I think that's a pivotal time in the... I think that start kind of wins the title for Rangers, to be honest. But November was an interesting time. Rangers are... It, it doesn't end. It's not a brilliant time in the league, but there's there's rumours in the papers that there's a prospective new buyer in the form of Motherwell-born businessman Craig White. Now, I have to be honest, I'd never heard of Craig White before this report in the Daily Record, but that report in the Daily Record, if you remember the phrase, he was a billionaire Ranger supporter with wealth off the radar. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, at the end of the day, journalists have got a responsibility to the public to tell the truth, to do their research and tell the truth. And no matter what their agenda is, that's what they're trained to do. Mm-hmm. When, when they're trying to be a journalist and to, to, to be so far off the mark it's either a cynical article to try and delude the Rangers fans or they've been told a lie I think, I think it's a mixture of both yeah I yeah. think it's a yeah. the, the, they've been told to spin a yarn um, you know a credible source if you will I mean, I'm not going to blame David Murray for this, but what's to say David Murray didn't contact Keith Jackson and say, this guy's got this, I've seen this guy's bank balance. Like, we don't know. But all we know is, is that we're spectacularly long, eh, wrong and we've never had an explanation as to why. 
No, without getting too kind of, you know, too deep at all. But this, this is the kind of thing that creates situations like Jimmy Savile, for example. The journalists did not do their job right. They did not look into the facts. They did not do their research properly and look what that caused. And now I'm not comparing the two, like obviously the Savile case to, to Rangers, but what I'm saying is the the actual integrity of the situation is mm-hmm. journalists have got a duty. And the duty is to tell the public what exactly is the facts here. And to be so wrong, Craig, Craig White's probably not even got a million in the bank. And they're saying he had a billion. How do you get it that wrong? And how do you still get to keep your job? Well, the only way you get it wrong is that if you, you, you get told the story and you don't do your due diligence, you don't do journalism. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is that in a nutshell. That, there's no journalism going on there. That's getting fed a line and just running with it to try and sell the papers because at the time that's all that mattered that's the, that's what really annoyed me Mark Daly from the BBC to be fair to him he'd done a really good investigative um, yes he absolutely did but that was after the fact mm-hmm. he was presenting all this stuff to us after Craig White had done what he'd done he had interviews with employees of Craig White who stated that this guy shut the business down as soon as he bought it. He didn't pay her wages and he put the team in, uh, he put the company in administration. He was asset stripped. All this came out after the fact. Why was that not able to be done before he bought Rangers? Rangers is a massive asset, or sorry, a massive institution within Scottish society. So it should be, it should have that level of scrutiny to protect the the, the club. And, and obviously, you try to tell me that a strong Rangers isn't beneficial to the, the Scottish economy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that there is obviously a cynical um a cynical undertone there from the journalists when it came to Craig White purchasing Rangers because there was just nothing done at all to suggest that this guy was going to be bad for Rangers. And and in many ways, I think a lot of the journalists took great pleasure in the fact that it, it went so tits up because as I said, we're Rangers, aren't we? Well well we're, we're not exactly the, the most liked club. Um, within Scotland and I just I'll never understand how this guy was never caught out before he actually was um, do you know what bugs me about it though see when see like later on when you see like Keith Jackson doing a do you, have you ever seen the video of him doing the the kind of explanation of all this this whole period no. in Australia well he's he done a like an interview in Australia about the I think it's called the financial wrecking of Glasgow Rangers or something like that. And he's basically saying what happened. He's explaining everything. And what what he does say is, yeah, I broke the ticket story. I broke the story that I was that Craig White was mortgaging season ticket money. What he doesn't mention is the fact that he was, if it wasn't for him, Craig White wouldn't have got past the light of day. Well, that's it. That's exactly because it. it. Because the fans immediately bought into that out of desperation, out of the need for a hero that we talk about. But if it isn't for Keith Jackson and Jim Trainer, that doesn't they, happen. They facilitated Craig White into, into power. They absolutely did. Um, Craig White would never have got into the position he got into with Rangers if the journalists done their job. Now, I'm not going to blame the journalists for what happened at Rangers, but at the end of the day, they, they can't sit back and you know, take credit for exposing this, that, and next thing after the fact, or, mm. or even Keith Jackson exposing Ticketus when it actually happened. Hold on a minute, Keith, if you actually done your job, you would have known that this guy was going to do something like that, yeah. and this whole thing could have been prevented. But at the end of the day, such as the, you know, such as Scottish society, 
the fact that it went so tits up was probably good for the Daily Record because it sold papers and that that isn't it goes against every ethic that a journalist is taught and as I say these guys are or the vast majority of these guys are still in employment I'd say Mark Daly he's not exactly loved by Rangers fans because he, he wasn't exactly very nice about us but at the end of the day you can't argue with what he brought to the table in terms of this is what this guy is like my only bugbear about it is, right, why are you telling us this now after he's put us in administration? You should have told us this way before. Yeah. And the fact is, it's not a story before we're in administration. It's a story after we're in administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was... But, you know, I'm standing here blaming journalists or, or having a good journalist. At the end of the day, David Murray, he tells us he's a very clever businessman. He's a successful businessman. Nothing gets by Murray and, you know... You, you have to, you know, get up pretty early to get one over on David Murray. Well, Craig White must have got up at three. And that's why, that's why I'll never buy the theory of I was duped. I would never buy it because you are, you're David Murray. You're, Craig White is many things. He's not intelligent. David Murray's intelligent. David Murray's an intelligent guy. There's no way somebody like Craig White does that to David Murray. David Murray, David Murray saw him coming a mile away. Now that's desperation. That's, yeah. that's hoping that David Murray needed a fall guy. And he's he needed a fall guy, yeah. I've always held the theory, and I was going to speak about this in the next show, I've always held the theory that either Murray was going to bring somebody in early on to kind of take the fall for the mess, and then he would come in and ride to the rescue, or he would basically just let it happen and hope that it lasted long enough to be nothing to do with him. It's one or the other. I think... As, as I said, I think Murray knew fine well administration is something that had to happen. He didn't want to pull the trigger. He needed a fall guy. Craig White was a perfect fall guy. And after administration, Rangers would rise again and we'd get our house in order. Mm-hmm. Do I think David Murray fought for a second that you were going to get liquidation, you were going to get division three? No, no chance. I don't think no. he fought that. But at the end of the day, he took an almighty gamble on his legacy and he took an almighty gamble with a football club and both backfired spectacularly and it makes him look just his his. We'll, we'll talk about his legacy, obviously, at the end of the show. But you know, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be kind to him at all. No. And it's his own fault. And as I say, he needed a fall guy. He needed he needed a soft touch. Craig White was definitely a soft touch. You know what I mean? And my only regret is, as Rangers fans, you said we did look for that hero. We did look for that knight in shining armor. Of course, we did, and we believed that we had that. We should have listened to the the rebels on the board I'm and that's about. the thing though and that, that's that's another interesting point like Bain and Johnson I think Bain in particular he was out saying like you can't you can't sell it to Craig White Craig White's bad the problem with Bain was is that Bain had never wanted the support on his side up until that point so why would the support then turn on turn to Bain what Bain looks like is a desperate man looking to keep his position but I think I think the even the fans only going to listen to Martin Bain but let's be honest and be brutally honest about it. How many is were actually concerned when John Gregg was removed? I don't think many is. Nah. I think many is were just like, okay, that, that obviously needs to happen. Mm-hmm. That should have been the first thing that we went, right, nah, 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 this isn't happening. There's something going on here. And you had Alistair Johnson coming out telling us, nah, this guy's a fraud. And Paul Murray, and to a certain extent, Dave King. Um, and yet, as fans, you know, we have to be honest about it. 
there will be some that did have their worries, but most of us were just like, nah, you're just jealous because you didn't get the keys yourself. Or Craig White's in a position that you'd love to be in. Like, yeah. that, I think that's how we kind of seen it. And yeah, how wrong were we? Um, and, you know, David Murray had these guys in his ear. David Murray was not duped, as you say. David Murray had Alistair Johnson saying to him, this guy's a fraud. But Murray knew this. Murray just needed the full guy because Murray didn't want to be the one to pull the trigger on administration. No, he absolutely didn't. And uh, getting into January, the obviously Celtic beat Rangers at Ibrox, Samaras with their two goals, and it's it's already shaping up that it's going to be neck and neck with Celtic between the, the two clubs. But one kind of starved man of that early season was Kenny Miller. 22 goals in 25 games, but he was out the door in January. Buzz Sport came in. 400 grand, now a low ball offer. Miller was coming to the end of his deal, so you can argue, was this good value? I don't know, but selling their top goal scorer for less than a million pounds to me shows they were just desperate to get any money in. The, the one good thing about that is it made John Hartson look like an idiot again, because John Hartson had a, a, a newspaper article that said Rangers have sold the league for £400,000. Yeah. It's always that, funny to see Hartson uh, making an so idea of himself. Yeah, that was particularly pleasing, but uh, <laughs> on a serious note, um, it was right, really, because, yeah, we obviously went on to win the league, but, you know, what are we doing selling a guy who's got almost a goal a game for 400000 when we're in a league title? Um Race here, it's neck and neck. Surely it makes more financial sense to just let him run his contract down, bank that 10 million pounds in Europe, um, and yeah, let him go for free. But at least we're still getting the 10 50 million pounds we're going to get for the European qualification. But instead, we've how desperate must we have been that 400,000 pounds is far more appealing to us? Like, yeah. that's scary it really really is and there was never any talk of Kenny Muller signing a new contract I wouldn't criticise Kenny Muller for this because I don't think MD was getting new contracts at this point so really the smart thing would have been selling in the summer but it was such a crucial play is that we couldn't because obviously the injury to Yelovich and all this kind of stuff but yeah I'll never understand why we decided to do that People will always say, oh, but Kenny Muller got offered the money. No, I, I, I think Kenny Muller would have been more than happy to stay for the Rangers for the, the, the last six months he's deal. And yet, £400,000 just seemed to be a goldmine to Rangers when it was it was a pittance. Like, it was crazy. What did that £400,000, where did that get us? You know what I mean? Did that just keep the lights on for a month? Is that how desperate we were? You know Probably, what I mean? yeah. I, think, I, I, I mean... 400 for 400 grand, do you know what I mean? And it's just it's so bad, it's just so bad. And it's not, I mean, you have again, you have to put it to just the, the brilliance of Walter Smith to get this team over the line because he just he, he's dealt so many bad hands. And I mean, winning the League Cup as well, I mean, they beat Celtic in that League Cup final. That just shows again, <clears throat> no matter how hard it is, Walter Smith could find a way to beat Celtic. Yeah, and that, that, that League Cup victory was so against the the odds for me. Celtic, at this point, really did have a one number. Mm. Um, the, the beat is at Ibrox and the beat is at Parkhead 3-0. Um, we're going into this game, we're not in great form against some injuries. Um, Celtic are rampant and yet we turn up and, and we win on the day. Um, Jelovic getting that goal at the end. Um it was just, yeah, just a, a Walter masterclass, yeah, again. Um, and again, we talk about 
important moments in a season. We talk about the 3-1 victory at Parkhead. This, getting the first cup of the season against Celtic, that helped. You know what I mean? That gave us the confidence that we could have a strong finish. And and we did, albeit with one slip-up. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was all... It was all neck and neck between Rangers and Celtic. That infamous replay as well at Parkhead. That is the most unbelievable ninety minutes I think I've ever witnessed. Just the whole that was just mental, wasn't it? That just, just, just on that though, it should never have got to that stage. Um, no. Nah. For as much praise as we should give Walt on, he absolutely deserves every bit of it. Um, we have to, we have to criticise his management for the first, uh, for the first game uh, to go in two one at half time and Celtic are down to ten men because Fraser Forster gets sent off. Yeah. Walter decided to rather than try and kill the game, he decided to try and basically stop Celtic from scoring, um, and he went defensive, and that that was a mistake. That potentially cost us a treble. Um, well, it did cost us a treble, um, and yeah, it, it deserves to be criticised for that. Um, not that I'm happy to do it or, or, or even comfortable to say it, but um, it got that one wrong real bad. Um, I'll I'll never know why. Instead, I try to kill the game off when Celtic are quite vulnerable, down to 10 men. They've only got 45 minutes to save their cup campaign and we decide to just sit behind uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully see it out. That that was completely the wrong decision. But as you say, that replay was just madness, absolute madness. And um, I think that actually, that stemmed, uh, sorry, that that um, the Scottish Parliament inquiry, um, which they had no right to get involved in anything like that. No, it was... Uh... Madness is it honestly we stay in a weird, weird wee country. Yeah, I mean it was just a mental mental day, obviously the famous spat with Lennon and McCoyst, and it was just it was it was bad, but on the for on the field it, it does look as if it's going neck and neck, but that's prospective takeovers gathering steam and it's dominating the headlines come April. We haven't mentioned the tax case yet, and mainly mainly because obviously next week I think we'll go through it kind of with, with a bit of a fine tooth comb, but I mean, Alistair Johnson's forced to deny and he's forced to come out and say that the club could go out of business in April because of this tax case. What was the kind of th- thinking of that at the time? Like, this 50 million kind of EBT thing that was kind of in the background, it wasn't. There was a lot more kind of dominating the headlines at this point, but in the background you had this thing that, again, ultimately kind of was another thing that David Murray anchored the club with. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't really pay much attention at it at the time. I was more sort of concerned with on-field matters, but we'd heard that much from the suits uh, in the last six months of the season that you just didn't know what to believe. And yeah, Arthur Johnson's a very credible man. He had no reason to lie and, and obviously had legitimate concerns. But the, the problem that Rangers fans had was, you could say it was arrogance, in fact, it probably is arrogance. Was we're far too big to go under. Yeah, are far too big to go under. So it doesn't matter what they say; it will never happen. And I think we had that attitude right up until the very, very you know day where the inevitable happened after administration and, and the company get uh, liquid uh, liquidated and all this kind of stuff. And I still think even that day it still hadn't sunk in that no, this is we're far too big for this to happen to and. People like Alistair Johnson were coming out with all these kind of things, 50 million tax bill on us, and we just expected it to, to go away. Um, and I think HMRC, their aggressive pursuit of it, they've got a lot to answer for as well, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they allowed 
this to happen on their watch. And I think, you know, Rangers are not the only company to to take advantage of tax loopholes. And I just will never understand uh, an organisation who allow it to happen to a certain extent and then they go, right, hold on, you're taking the bus. Like, no, it should be nipped in the bud right there and then. Like, you're not allowed to do this. And, um, you know, as I said, their aggressive pursuit of it cost them what they will do. If... Yeah, the cost, they didn't do the best for the taxpayer. Exactly. And that that's what we all need to look at here. You can say that Rangers were financially immoral at times with their dealings, and you're probably right if, you, if you've come to that conclusion. But at the end of the day, HMRC are there to protect the taxpayer and to recoup any money that they can. Um, they might not get it all. And they'll their tactic when it comes to things like this is all or nothing. Mm-hmm. We'll never, we'll never ever ever understand it. And yeah, uh, yeah it's again I'm kind of going a wee bit far down the line there. But if to answer your question, was I concerned when Johnson was coming with us? I'd be a liar if I said yes. I sort of just ignored it because that was the best policy at the time. Because you were hearing all sorts of stuff and it would just go away, and Rangers would continue to win, and that's all that really mattered to me at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and. On the field, I mean, we're kind of going off the field, on the field here, but Rangers get a bit of a helping hand thanks to an Alan McGregor save that keeps them in the keeps them in the championship, to be honest. That, if, that's, if McGregor doesn't save that penalty, we're not talking about three in a row. And yeah. obviously Inverness can I play a wee, play a wee helping hand as well, but those two kind of big events, how big a turning point were they? First of all, that penalty save and then obviously the the famous game at Inverness where Inverness would beat Celtic 3-1? Uh, well, the penalty itself was never a penalty, so justice was done there. But, yeah, no, it wasn't. It absolutely uh, wasn't. Even David Proven said it wasn't a penalty. That was a culmination of the pressure that Celtic had put on the referees this season. We've not even touched upon this, but this nah. was a season for Scottish football where you had guys from Portugal and Luxembourg refereeing games for, for a weekend because the referees went on strike purely because of the behaviour of the Celtic manager and yeah. the Celtic board. Um, that's a Funny fact. how that's not changed. Yeah. That, that, that is a fact. You know, the Celtic manager and the Celtic board put that much pressure on essentially volunteers, really. I mean, these guys are they're paid a decent amount of 500 quid a game or whatever, but, you know, they, they don't have to do it. They're not obliged nah. to do it. They choose to do it. Um, and yeah, they're no perfect Rangers, didn't they get decisions correct um, this year either? Uh, and yeah, that penalty was given because of that for me. Um, the pressure was that much like Craig Thompson, I think it was. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. He's probably felt to himself, probably isn't he, apparently, but it might have been a penalty. I might have missed it, so I'll just give it anyway. Remember, he, remember, he, remember he, took a, he gave a penalty in the, the cup final and changed yes. his mind? Against Jelovic, yeah. that, that that was see we seen that happen against uh, USG last week with Angels, um, but the referee took advice from the linesman. Craig Thompson pointed to the spot and then changed his mind without any consultation. Never seen it done in my life. Ever. <laughs> Probably was the right decision, but what? How did he? You know, how did he come to that decision? Um, and as we say, Anthony Stokes, clear dive, never a penalty. Um, that game itself, we bit disappointed in Rangers' performance that day. It was it had sort of kind of the same sort of um feel about it as the Stephen Davis 1-0 game. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it was kind of a shootout. Rangers didn't really turn up that day. McGregor does what McGregor does, fantastic penalty save. At that point, I still didn't see that as being crucial because Celtic was still in the driving seat, and I could not see where Celtic were going to drop points. However, 
you remember, such as the Scottish Premier League as it was at the time, it's so unique, the fact that it splits into six teams at the top, six teams at the bottom. And after the split was done, Celtic actually played one of the bottom six teams with yeah. a pile-up. So out of all the games that Celtic had to play, the Inverness game was the banker, you know what I mean? They were mm-hmm. in the bottom six. And yet, I remember that. I was I was in work and um, a customer came up to me and went, did you hear Inverness are 3-1 up? And I was like, mate, come on. Shut up. I genuinely thought he was taking the piss. So I ran out the back to check my phone and I, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, did not see it coming. Had probably designed myself to the fact that Celtic were going to win the league because I just couldn't see where they were going to slip up. And uh, the most unlikely of slip-ups came and it was Rangers were never going to relinquish their hold on the, on the title after that. No, games left and, and we, I just knew that we were going to get the job done because we'd been given an almighty break here and surely we're not going to let this go and, and we didn't. Our, our attitude after that Inverness result was spot on. Absolutely. I remember the first two games at Ibrox, Dundee United and Hearts. We get the early goals. We had the games finished for half time, And then, you know, it was, uh, who did we beat in the last day? Uh, Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock. Aye, of course. Of course it was I. Um, you know, seven minutes is all it took in that last game. Attitude was spot on. Um, and it was just amazing feeling. Because for me, it was an unexpected title. I really had resigned myself to the fact that Celtic were going to win that. Even the fact that Samaras missed that penalty. Don't get me wrong, Samaras scores that penalty to win the league. But um, I still didn't see it as that crucial because I felt the fact that, see, we didn't get the three points that day. That was more... A kicking the balls to me than, than you know, looking at the positives that Alan McGregor saved that penalty. Mm-hmm. And as you say, there's after at this point, Rangers are three games away from the title. The 6th of May 2011, David Murray finally sells his controlling stake of 85.3% to Craig White. It's completed that day for a pound. Yeah. The following day. That just shows you the desperation level. Do you think a pound was ever exchanged? Like, I know, do you think there was, that was ever done? Are you, are you asking me that I think Craig White's even had a pound? <laughs> no, but generally serious, like that. I, I, I don't I honestly don't know. Like, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to token transactions, probably not. Um, it's he's effective. It's not effective. He has donated his shares. Why would you do that? He's a businessman. <clears throat> he's gone. You try to tell me he can't make money off this. He owns. The vast majority of Rangers Football Club, the Premier Football Club in all of Scotland. Yeah, we're riddled with debt, but you try to tell me you still can't make some sort of money on that. I think it had just got by that stage for him, though. I think it was just desperation to get out and just, I think, he's, he's, he's desperation to sit, to preserve his own business. Yeah, just negligence. Um, and yeah, it was... But I have to admit, he's got... Was I concerned? No, I still wasn't concerned. It was. It just shows you how much a successful football team at the time that is far more important than the health of your of your football club. Yeah. And I thought, right, okay. I'll be honest with you. Right, I actually thought this is how naive I was. I mean, at the time, what age am I? Twenty, twenty-one. Um, I thought the fact that Craig White <coughs> didn't have to buy these shares that gives Rangers more money. That gives him more money to print. Yeah. And, you know, how how wrong was I, man? The next day, Rangers play Hearts, and I was standing at Edwiston Drive that day watching this guy coming down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, he's, the two guys next to him, 
Names for next week, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Withy and David Greer. Keep an eye, keep a note in their names. They're important next week. But you've got this guy getting interviewed by Chris McLaughlin walking down that that street. He does not look like a billionaire. And yeah. what were we thinking, thinking that this guy was? I mean, he's a scruffy kind of guy. He looks. He, he looks. I mean, he looks just like he's. Came out of bed. He just looks. He looks. He looks an imitation of what a rich guy is. His shoes only polished. He's not wearing a belt. His tie's no straight. His hair's no brushed. He's um. He just. I'll be honest, man. He probably looks like me when I wear a suit. And you know, <laughs> I certainly don't have a billion pounds in the bank. And this guy's about to sit in the director's box as the owner of Rangers Football Club, and he's about to oversee our fifty fourth league title one. Um. The just, thing that gets me with that with that thing as well. Do you remember the the Hearts game like really early on? It was on Sky. Five minutes, Walter goes into the director's box and he shakes his hand and he just White's just slouched like a. He's just it's as if he's just sitting in his living room, he just slouched in the the seat and things like that. He's just, I mean, looking pro- back, honestly, he's he's probably not even bored or or overwhelmed. He's probably just like thinking to himself, "How have I done this?" Like mm-hmm. how have I actually how quick how quickly can I get it get torn into it? This is like you must be you must have been thinking to yourself, like I am the man, like yeah, have I done this? And he's as you say, man, he's sitting in the director's box with all these dignitaries and all these guys who are richer than Walter Smith was probably richer than him. <laughs> Walter Smith coming up shaking his hand and he's getting I'm pretty sure that day he was clapped into his seat as well by the fans. And yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember the thing. Do you remember the? I think it was a blue order put up a thing. It was like step up and pay, Master White or something like that. And just you think back and you think just how naive was yeah. support. But it was it was a mixture of desperation and they were hoodwinked. And it was that simple. Well, the the, the only saving grace we can really say is it will never happen again. No, it'll never mm. happen again. I mean, you know as well as I do, it's you, you don't get anywhere. Anymore, like there's yeah, you're under this, pressure straight away. But this is why, you know, I'm quite critical of some decisions that the board make, and I'll never understand those who will back the board no matter what. Blame yeah, them. you look at James Bisgrove, right? I think he's got a very questionable track record with Rangers, especially with the crypto deals and all that. And now I'll always question stuff that I feel is a bit iffy. And if we don't have that level of scrutiny as a fan base, 2012 could happen all over again. We mm-hmm. need to be able to criticise, question and scrutinise these guys who are the custodian of Rangers Football Club purely because we don't want a repeat of of 2012. No. You're going to happy clap your way through a tenure of a chairman or a director or, or whatever. It's not going to benefit anyone we'll we'll as fans we're there to support the team but we're also there to hold a certain standard a certain degree of scrutiny for decisions made now Douglas Park and Bennett and and is it Taylor I think yeah asked it for Rangers but it doesn't mean that they're going to get every decision right and it doesn't mean that we have to back every decision they make we're allowed to be outspoken about certain things and and that is what the vast majority of Rangers fans do now and that's because of the scar tissue. The scar tissue is always, always going to be there for this generation of Rangers fans who went through 2012. And, yeah, and I actually hope that, you know, I've got, I've got a son and a daughter. I actually hope that 
my scar tissue is actually passed down to them. So yeah. I'm not here. They're able to kind of, you know, scrutinise Rangers the way that I do because I think that's a really, really important lesson that we need to have learned. And my concern is there is some fans have quickly forgotten about it and will blindly, you know, support anyone who's in a position of power at Rangers purely because it's the staunch thing to do or that's what fans do. No. We have to we have to be on our toes twenty four seven, um, because you know what we went through just cannot happen again in any form, in any degree. Even the even the smallest degree of what happened in twenty twelve cannot happen again. It has to be, you know, we have to stand up for our football club, and that is a lesson. That is the most important lesson that we have to take away from from what the likes of White done to us. Absolutely, yeah. and you, as you say, we're going to just talk about two different legacies before we finish up. Smith gets it done, he wins the, the next three games and achieves three in a row, and it's a perfect way for him to go out. Obviously, McCoy's is coming in as manager on, on next week's show, but when you think about Walter Smith in that second spell, he just he's just this unbelievable, amazing presence in Rangers history for me. Yeah, look, I can't talk too much about his first spell. I remember latterly, um, but the early years I certainly don't remember because obviously I was born in 1990. And, mm-hmm. um, so I can't talk from a position of experience and actually a position of being there. Um, but no one can convince me that his second spell wasn't better than his first. Yeah. His first spell, he had to pick a players around Europe. He had a blank checkbook and he had a, an adequate Celtic team as his opponent. His second spell, he had, you know, so four years, four full seasons. He had three good Celtic teams. The worst Celtic team he came up against was Tony Mowbray's. Mm-hmm. Had three good Celtic teams. He won, what was it, you know, eight trophies. Yeah. Eight and a European final. And they had a fraction of the money available to him that he did in his first spell. Um, yeah, nah, he's, he's legacy. For, for me, Scott, this is a big, bold claim, but when you look at the history of Rangers Football Club, people could say Bolstruff was the best. Um, but for me, it's Walter Smith. Yeah. Uh, to, to achieve what he achieved in the modern era of football, and you look at the eras of football, he achieved it over two eras of football. The first era was Rangers were a big powerhouse within European football. And as I said, we could pick any team around the world, sorry, any player around the world, and we could have probably signed them. And that's easy to do. Well, I'm saying it's easy to do, but it makes your job easier to do. Second spell, football moved on, money, cash is king. We didn't have the cash, but we lost all the kings. And that was only possible under Walter. There's not one guy out there who could have, done what Walter done in that second spell European final eight trophies in three in a row not one guy doesn't matter who you are Guardiola Klopp whatever Sir Alex Ferguson even mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could have done it but Walter done it and Walter done it through tactical nous he done it through a love of Rangers and he done it through pure dedication to the cause and not only did he achieve all that but you know his dignity throughout it was intact completely um and for for me that that makes him the greatest i mean giovanni van broncos could win the treble this year and the europa league this year still will never surpass no one will ever surpass walter for me doesn't matter i'd love to 100 and i won't see a better rangers manager than Walter Smith. no and i think you just summed it up perfectly there i don't think i need to add anything but 
the other side, the legacy of David Murray. We're at the stage now with this journey where the David Murray chapter's closed. We'll bring him up next week, but not obviously as owner, but how different is his legacy? From a fan's perspective, it's completely in ruins. From a player's perspective and manager's perspective, he's still a very popular man now. That kind of, for me, didn't sit right with me, but I spoke to Craig Moore about it. Um, mm-hmm. It was more of a kind of private conversation. It was in person, but it wasn't recorded or anything like that. And, mm-hmm. and he totally opened my eyes to it. David Murray made Craig Moore a multi-millionaire. Yeah. So why would he hate him? Exactly. I get that. I totally get that. And Craig Moore's not the only multi-millionaire that was created by David Murray. There's probably about 50 to 70 of them. Mm-hmm. So I get the support that Murray still gets from his ex-players and his ex-managers. And you know what? He as a chairman, he probably was a good chairman to work under. You know, Dick Advocate, I want that player. Murray, okay, fine, you've got him. Walter Smith, I want that player. Fine, you've got him. Alex McLeish probably got a raw end of the deal, but you know, at the end of the day, Alex McLeish was given the Rangers job by David Murray. It wouldn't have yeah. happened about David Murray, so I, I, I get the, the, the loyalty there. But we didn't work for David Murray, and David Murray didn't make us millionaires. So as fans, our perspective and our opinion on David Murray is completely different to the ex-employees of David Murray. And that is, this guy sold us a dream. It delivered in some aspects of it. But ultimately, that dream caused a, 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 destruct, a destruction of the likes of which we will never see again. So does the good outweigh the bad? No, because the bad for me, when you actually think about how bad the bad was, it'll just never happen to any football fan in this country ever. Now, people can say, I oh, but look at Gretna or, or whatever. You know, no, Gretna, you know, a Gretna happening or even a Ford Lanark happening or that kind of stuff, they're nowhere near as big as what Rangers are. They, they, they had nowhere near the love attachment and, you know, you try to tell me like these kind of supporters of these teams, their moods affected by the result of of of, of one of their matches. Of course it wasn't. It, mm-hmm. it just, you know, Rangers were so big that we have, that they, they have a, a, a massive on on your mood and your life and your happiness and what happened to us, we were humiliated. You know what I mean? We were we were we were the butt of jokes for the best part of five years. Probably a bit more than that. Even when we came back up, we were still not the proper Rangers as we had looked to be. It's only now, in the last two years, we've actually got our Rangers back. So mm-hmm. you're talking what eight years of complete rubbing our noses in it and kicking us and and as I said, we made the the butt of the jokes and. I'm sorry, but that's all down to David Murray. And the bad outweighs the good for me. And his legacy is one that he he hit the self-destruct button on his legacy. Um, he did try to preserve it, and he could have done better preserving it. And if he'd done better preserving his legacy, we'd probably be talking in more kinder terms about him right now. But he was that selfish that he put himself before the club. Now, no through Ranger, whatever position you hold within the Rangers family, whether it be an employee or a fan, a player, a tea lady, whatever, you never put yourself before the club. You, no. you always put the club before before yourself and David Murray failed on that duty and that to me makes him 
a pariah within the Rangers fans. I mean, that might be harsh, but that's just my opinion. I think he'll never be welcome back, and nor should he. He'll no. never have his Hall of Fame moment, and nor should he. And um, yeah, when we talk about nine in a row and and the you know expansive, sexy football of Dick Advocate, there's always going to be that we sort of kind of don't want to say asterisk next day because I think that's too harsh. But there's always going to be that. Yeah, we've done that and we love that, but. I'd rather not think about the contribution that Murray made towards it. That's that's how I see it. I think you summed up two legacies there. Totally, totally right. I think Murray's just it's hard. And we, we live in the we live in the world of cancel culture where you kind of ten brilliant things in your your career, but one thing can just ruin it. And I think that's it. I think that's it. But Murray, he can he can talk about nine in a row. He can talk about Gascoigne, Loudrop. He can talk about. The club deck, he can talk about everything that he that he did, and he did do good things, but nothing eclipses what the bad he did. Yeah, that's that in a nutshell. And the, the bad, you know, as I said, the bad isn't even what happened to the football club. The bad is the embarrassment he caused every single one of us, mm-hmm. and that you can't you can't do that to. Uh, a legion of fans when there's not one Rangers fan that didn't have any sense of embarrassment throughout this 2012 to 2020 period. We all had some sort of level of embarrassment. And it all stemmed from the actions of, of one man, which is which is David Murray, unfortunately. I can sort of not forgive, but I can sort of understand the, the gambling aspect of trying to be successful. But what David Murray did doing that was he allowed the club to be he allowed he opened up the club to sharks, and that's what we see well, here. That's it. Like, uh, if I can try and bring an analogy to your focus, if you go into the bookies with a tenner and you put a bet on and you win 120 quid, you can easily live with yourself by spending that 20 quid, but you're, you're going to keep that 100 quid, aren't you? So, mm-hmm. if you're going to gamble. And you're not a serial gambler. If you're, if you're a clever, clever gambler, you're going to have some sort of backup plan in case it goes tits up. And for me, with Murray, it was all or nothing. And Murray chased the dream. And the dream, by the way, wasn't it 10 in a row or, or having this amazing legacy over the stadium. The, the dream was the Champions League. And then when that, his opportunity passed him by in the Champions League, we had a great opportunity in the 90s to at least try and get that Champions League. Um, when that passed him by, he didn't have a dream anymore because there was no more targets. His his hunger and desire left him bit by bit to the point where he was a shell of his empty self and he was lumbered with this football club that was causing him problems in his business life and his private life and he just lost complete interest and the consequence of that was he didn't care really about anybody but himself. He just wanted rid of the the albatross that was Rangers around his neck and and that what he should have done he should have identified that he'd lost his passion his hunger his desire a long time ago and he should have sold the club a long time ago but instead he he created more and more issues which affected his legacy more and more mm-hmm. and that's that and that's we'll go into the next chapter next week where we talk about what happens in the new era and how quickly it fades to dust when Ali McCoyce becomes manager and Craig White gets his shoes under the table and quickly we see that it's just doomed to fail. 
Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to go through this time with you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it as well. Well, some aspects of it anyway. <laughs> I mean, it was just PTSD. But oh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for asking me on. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much to everyone that's tuned in. And please join us next week on the next chapter of the Rangers Journey. <laughs>